Welcome to Burn News Current Affairs Podcast with Jeremy Deacon. Listen at your leisure on www.burnnews.com. Minister Fay, Minister of Home Affairs, uh, is with me today. Thank you, Minister, for sparing some time. Thank you. I know you're a busy man, and I know that your ministry in particular uh, deals with some of the most contentious mm-hmm. issues, shall we say. Yes. Um, the latest hot topic, I suppose, an ongoing hot topic, but it's in the news particularly at the moment, is immigration, mm-hmm. the long re- long-term residents, the PRCs, etc. Now, there's an interesting comment that I saw on Facebook today. I'm not mm-hmm. going to tell you who it was from. I'm, I'm sure you could find out, but it, I'm not going to. OBA disconnected from the average Bermudian. That's false. They are very cool with the accidental Bermudian. There does seem to be a disconnect between yourself as a Home Affairs Minister, government, the immigration issue, in that there's a widely held perception, or so it seems to me, that your immigration policies in terms of long-term residents and PRCs are anti-black Bermudian. They are anti the average Bermudian. And and that quote I gave you from Facebook Mm. seems to me to summarise it. Mm. Um, it, That's an unfortunate and sad perception. Um, The reality couldn't be any further from the truth. Um, And I say that for any number of reasons. What I'm going to do is I'm going to take you through um, some of the reasoning as to why the government is of the belief that addressing the issue of long-term residence, whether that is through granting of PRC or status. Um, and I'll start with um, some very easy statistics. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's easy to demonstrate that as more people are on island, the rate of unemployment in Bermudians is less. Mm-hmm. So when you look at um, work permit output, when you look at work permits that have been granted, for example, in the past 15 or 20 years, At the height of the issuance of work permits in around 2008, which is the highest number of work permits ever issued, um, you saw the lowest unemployment of Bermudians. Right. Uh, And, in fact, what we had seen by the time the OBA government took over, of course, was a a high level of unemployment, uh, and that number has started to decline. Now, that high level of unemployment of Bermudians coincided with the least number of work permits given out over that previous 15-year period. Now, to me, that's a very significant correlation. Now, that's just one piece of it. Uh, and um, what, one, what the government has promised to do is turn the economy around. And we have started to do that. Independent economists have, have said that, in fact, I think there's something today um, that, uh, from Craig Simmons who has made reference to the fact that um, there are indicators to demonstrate that the economy is taking a turn for the better albeit it's not perfect, and far from it. I accept nothing is perfect. It's still on a tightrope. Yeah. It's still on a tightrope, but things are going in a better direction than they were um, from when the OBA took government. And what we have said all along is that we need direct foreign investment to sustain our economy. And one of the ways in which we can do that is to ensure that we have money staying in Bermuda is addressing the issue of people who already have spent a long time in Bermuda prepared to make that further commitment to Bermuda. Um, some have said, oh, well, if you grant long-term resident or status to people who have been here for 15 to 20 years, PRC 15, 20 years or more for status, then you're taking positions away from Mr. and Mrs. Bermuda. And, there is that misconception. And, and, and people say, well, that means black Bermudians. Um, and I, I understand why that perception is there because, one, 
I think that we have not been as good at communicating what we're trying to do. That's a very crucial issue. Okay, it is. It is. Um, and we can do a much better job on that. So why aren't you? Well, I think we're getting there um, in terms of how we're uh, making uh, um, some of what we're going to do tonight, for example, at the um, town hall on this particular mm -hmm. issue. Mm -hmm. And we'll continue to roll out statistics. And, statistics, and fine. But, yep. you know, it's, it's meeting people, it's talking to people. Mm -hmm. There's... To me, to my perception, is there's a complete lack of empathy. Yeah. I was at the press conference you gave on, on the long-term uh, residence issue, and you talked about it being a humanitarian act for the long-term residents. Yeah. I don't remember saying how, how humanitarian it was or wasn't for Bermudians. And there's a sense, no, they're, they're, there's a sense okay. of a lack of empathy here. Well, and, I, I, and I think that's you, misconceived and misplaced, and I would say this. But the, the perception is some, one person's perception is their reality. I, agreed, and I'm not dismissing that. But I think when I hear statements that say... Um, oh, well, this is something that's anti-Bermudian. No government in the world would do something that is in the direct opposite of what's in the interests of, the, of, of their people. Not a million years would anyone do that. We are in a terrible situation where we have a complete lack of government finances to be able to sustain the model that we have, and that is to be able to provide for services for Bermudians. And how do we do that? We need people to pay taxes. And we need people to be able to pay those taxes, to pay for education, pay for health care, pay for pensions, pay for our seniors, do all the things that we're accustomed to and, frankly, we should continue to have. Now, how do we arrest that issue? We have a declining birth population here mm -hmm. and a rising deaths in Bermuda. In other a words, we're, not, we're just not replacing ourselves. Yeah. If you're going to sustain yourself, you need a population of 2.1 or more essentially in terms of births. You need 2.1. That's the that's a kind of standard, mm -hmm. recognized standard. We're less than one in Bermuda. So how do we how do we stop that? How do we say, how are we going to get people to remain in Bermuda? How do we get them to continue to contribute? And when you take my 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 point that the more people that are here, the better Bermudians are off, the more they are sustained, the better they are in their community, the better services they get, then to me the answer is obvious. That's the empathy right there is to say we want to be able to provide the services. We want to put our children in a better position for the future. We want to see jobs provided for them. And how do we do that? So if why someone's have we said all that before? If someone's here for 20 years, if someone's here for 20 years, they're not taking anyone's job. What they're doing, they're here for 20 years. That's because they're required in Bermuda. They need to be in Bermuda. And no one has taken that position. Where we have failed as a community over many, many years is a work permit policy that has not been robust enough to ensure that people that should get positions at a Bermudian actually get the opportunity to receive them. And what have we done? And I will keep hammering You've done quite a lot with the job board, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And so, you know, perhaps the way in which I articulate is not passionate enough. Perhaps the way I articulate is not seen as empathetic enough. But listen, I said it today in the Senate as it happens. I have three children in this country. I have three born Bermudian children. My brother is a Bermudian. He has two born Bermudian children. We have as much invested as here as anybody else. Mm -hmm. Why would we do anything as a government, as me as an individual, to stifle my children's potential in this country? So why are you not giving the message through? The, me the message obviously didn't get through because you were wiped out of that by-election. A marginal seat was turned into a PLP safe seat, mm -hmm. around about an 11% swing. Mm -hmm. Okay, you expect midterm governments to get a hammering in by-elections. Mm -hmm. This was extraordinary, in mm -hmm. my opinion. The message isn't getting through. Um, I disagree. Um, I disagree on that. Yes, our message could be better. I think it's getting through, but I'll say this. Um, yes, it's disappointing of the swing. That's my, my view on it. Um, but we have a PLP candidate who's now an MP, 
um, who had a, a very high profile and a, and a relative newcomer in a by-election of a seat that was not the OBAs in the first place. What that election has shown is that we must continue to get our message out there of what we're doing to turn this economy around. Where the OBA has failed, and we have not done the kind of job that we, ha- that we should be doing in terms of our communication, is to show the people of Bermuda that the economy is turning around, and we are making some of those tough decisions that everyone else has run away from over the years. Nobody wants to be put in a position where we have to make tough decisions. Nobody wants to be put in a position, least of all me over the last number of years, to make decisions where there's going to be um, lots of noise on it because of um, a better communications from an opposition that like to whip up sentiment that says things that this government is anti-Bermudian and the minister's anti-Bermudian. It's absolute rubbish to say that anyone would want to do something that is one anti-Bermudian. You're never going to get elected that way. Um, that's for sure. But that is the perception. But that is a perception from some and not all. It's a perception from a lot. But not the majority. And I don't well, believe that. I don't believe that. And what I will accept is to go back to the by-election... Well, that doesn't it's, necessarily it's, reflect it. It was a PLP well, seat. It was a marginal seat it held by a, 19 votes. But, but, it was, but in, again, at by-elections, I think you'll see that um, yeah, but no, it's very this. rare indeed. Very rare indeed for there to be... Um, uh, an incumbent that's overturned in a by-election. I agree, okay. but if you'd have lost that seat by 50 or 60 votes, I would have said that was a good result to you. For you to lose it by 110 was I accept a wipeout. I, I, I accept that, um, that the turnaround was unfortunate, and what it has demonstrated again, at least uh, from my point of view, is that we have to continue to work on our messaging. But messaging doesn't, lack of messaging or um, poor messaging doesn't take away from the reality, and that reality is that things are turning around, the unemployment rate has fallen, uh, and we have done more than the previous well, governments have ever done in respect of immigration reform, in respect of work permit policy reform, and in respect of job board, and some of these other things, okay. increase of penalties, all of these great things that to me are demonstrating that how is that anti-Bermudian? It doesn't that, make any sense. Okay. I think we've dealt with that pretty yeah. much. People can make their own minds up. That's one of the good things about this recording. You touched on unemployment. How much unemployment has fallen as a result of emigration? How much is unemployment? Sorry, I don't understand Sorry, the question. There's been a, there's been a, there's been a fair, quite a bit of emigration mm-hmm. from Bermuda. Has that impacted unemployment rates? I don't believe it has. I don't believe it has. I think um, in any country um, there is absolutely nothing wrong with seeing some emigration. Um, and in fact, um, I have said throughout my time in politics that it is an excellent thing for Bermudians to actually go overseas. And if they're going overseas for the reasons of training and job opportunities, that's a good thing. Now, if they're simply going overseas to take advantage of benefits in the United Kingdom, which we hear about, that's another. Absolutely. But I will say, but I will say this. Emigration is not a bad thing if you are going to eventually be able to have the opportunity to come back with the increased skill sets and all the rest of it. It's very easy in Bermuda for us to say, I'm entitled to something when I come home. Okay? But what's important is that if you feel, and I, I think that Bermudians should be able and are entitled to, to work in their own country. Let's make no mistake about that. But they have to, we must have that skill set, we must have that ability we must have that education to compete in an ever-increasing global marketplace. Do you know why? Do you know the reasons Bermudians are emigrating? I believe that I would... Uh, I could say that I believe why I know where many... I can't speak for each individual. 
Um, but but you, you have a general idea. I have a general idea. I mean, there are obviously some who are saying that they cannot afford to live in Bermuda because or can't find a job here, or, 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 or and there's all kinds of other reasons. Um, but again, I don't think that that is an overall reality of what's actually happening on the ground. We're getting back to the perception issue again as well. Yeah, it is a perception. Certainly, I'm a bit of a social media junkie. Mm, mm. I I, I virtually live on it because I have Mm, to. Uh, And as a result, I do see, I do read a lot about people's reasons. My perception, whether it's reality or not, is people are leaving because they can't make ends meet here, Mm. they can't find a job here. Mm. And they don't want it, but they're being forced out. Right. And one of the reasons for that, um, when people leave because there's a lack of opportunity, is to be perfectly blunt is a lack of number of guest workers who are continuing to stay and be those job creators. For everybody, and, and the work permit information demonstrates exactly that. When you have a low number of people in Bermuda from abroad, you have a higher rate of unemployment. You probably do have higher immigration. And that, to me, I know people think that just sounds totally absurd. But what we're not looking at here is bringing in um, immigrants from some war-torn country who are going to be competing in some grand marketplace with everyone else. It's not happening here. What we've got here are people who are required, and they're skilled workers, most of them, or they're here because other Bermudians do not want to do that work. That's why they've been managing to stay here for 15 or 20 years. You can't blame that on the OBA. We've been in government for three years. If I, I've got I people think, here for 20, I don't think, uh, blame, it's very easy. Blame is not an issue. I don't, I don't think there's an issue of blame, personally. Well, I, I think, it, it's, I think it's, it's a perception, perception. And, and it's the way it's dealt with and the messaging that goes out there. Right, but would you, I think, though, that there is a perception uh, that um, we are anti-Bermudian because we're trying to rectify a situation that was predicated on all of these individuals being here because of previous government policy. That's what's actually happened. We're having it, when the PRC issue, for example, was introduced in 2001, everyone knew at that time that if you put a cutoff date of 2010, you are going to have ongoing issues of PRCs whose children are then born here that have no opportunity mm-hmm. for PRC. All that actually happened is the previous government kicked the problem down the road a bit. That's all they've done. And on another point on all of this, if I may, Jeremy, is that emigration, or excuse me, immigration into Bermuda has happened for Bermuda's eternity. 1609. Okay. Yeah. Now, if, if you look at um, anyone in Bermuda and you say, where did your father or mother come from? Where did your grandparents come from? In a very instant way, I think what you're going to find answers of well, actually, yeah, my parents came from St. Kitts, or my parents came from the UK, or my parents came from Azores, or my grandparents did. And, so, uh, and, and they all have status. They all have some way to remain in Bermuda. But because of fear, because of what I believe is a vocal minority of people who use scare tactics to <laughs> say that instances of what happened in, in the past is a repeat now, I have to dismiss those because it's simply not what we're trying okay, to achieve. It's a, it's a question I want to ask you, but okay. I want to, I'll, I'll come on to that. Um, but I, I want to just mm. carry on this emigration issue. Are mm. you, is government measuring emigration? You know, what, we, what used to happen is we Bermudians would fill out a departure card, mm. um, and that doesn't happen. Um, and so, unfortunately, where we are is in, in the same state of um, lack of knowledge statistically other than anecdotally. You know, we have to unfortunately right. lie anecdotally a lot of the time. Mm. Now, that... That's I, th- I think can be corrected through better collection statistics, but it's not as easy as, as I'd like. Or not sh- I'd love to be able to sit here and say, well, this is the number of Bermudians I know that have left, and these, and I can tell how many people have come in, not to hand, but I could, I would be able to tell that. But in terms of those who have left, I can't other than a job force survey, which is 
again, sure. it's a small number. But isn't it quite important to know how many people are leaving and for what reasons? Of course it is. I think that um, I would suggest, and I don't know for sure, that perhaps one of the reasons that measure has never happened is because there hasn't necessarily been that issue that's been created where Bermudians wish to leave. Now, there's other number of reasons for this too. We have an ever-changing economy where what has happened, for example, in the international business sector is those kind of entry-level positions that Bermudians would get that opportunity to get into the market have, uh, for, for, for want of, of nothing else, have, have disappeared. Yeah. They've gone to other jurisdictions and so Bermudians now find themselves in a position if they want to get into that area, they've got to take some of the opportunities and take them overseas. And you know, is is that a dark? Is maybe maybe there's a silver lining in that cloud that in fact what happens is you get opportunities abroad. Only I can't if they be come negative back. all the time <laughs> if they come back. But um, many do come back, and many do train abroad, and many do get that opportunity. Yeah. And what I will say is this, and, and I know it hasn't been the question, but you know, over the last three years and and, up and prior, and meeting with the stakeholders in these industries, um, all of them will say it's in their best interest to hire Romanians. It's in their best interest to hire Romanians because they don't then have to fight the immigration rigmarole. They have dedicated and confirmed staff. Well, you have staff who are probably committed to the long term. Correct, and I think that's what you see in, in the general. I don't think that, immigra- that um, international business is the big bad boy that people like to paint them out to be a lot of the time. Um, they represent, as we know, the significant portion of GDP in this country. Mm. A disproportionate. I think, I think it's like 85%. Really yeah. And that's unfortunate. Yeah. But what this government has been trying to do is to re-examine the way in which tourism operates. We are, remain absolutely confident in the Desarellas Group to do their development in St. George's. We've seen Pink Beach, uh, and we've had continuing to get good reports out of Morgan's Point. This doesn't change overnight. I wasn't going to touch on this, yeah. really, the, the job creation front. Mm. And, I, and I didn't really want to. I want to. There's a few subjects I want to hone in on to. Mm-hmm. But while you're there, while, while mm. we're talking about this, and I'm going to come back to all the other stuff you mentioned. Right. On job creation, it seems to me personally that there's a, uh, a huge emphasis on tourism and not a lot else. Tourism and IB, but not a lot else. Mm. We don't hear of anything else. But if IB is downsizing considerably, whether it's outsourcing or, or merging uh, uh, with takeovers, etc., etc., you don't have duplication. There's a, lot, there's a lot of merging going on within the smaller Bermuda economy. Mm-hmm. What else is there? apart from tourism and IB, that you were trying to encourage, yeah. that can soak up some of these people who are unemployed, mm. who, who can alter the perception that jobs been created, and perhaps can stop families leaving or individuals leaving mm. because mm-hmm. there's nothing here. Yeah. Um, uh, before I answer the full part of that, I'm going to take a step back for a moment. One of the things that Bermudians we've all benefited from, again, is the number of people that have been here. And so what, has, what I've always seen happen, I think most will accept this, is that for years many Bermudians were able to get away with being well employed through hustles, and that's the, that's the term that's used. Yeah, two or three jobs. To you know, take two or three jobs, or not have a, a, a company, but say I'm going to paint your roof, or I'm going to engage in yep. this particular job part time, or whatever it is. And and we've and we've managed, and we've managed very well because as all the people on the island want that service. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're quite right. Um, as international business has consolidated, they've done mergers, there's been some that have failed, there's been acquisitions in the market, as you've said. Some, some and it's probably going to continue. Some of the jobs are overseas. Um, and what we've tried to do um, in our first move was to try and stabilize the feeling that existed in the international business community that um, they were not being um, listened to in terms of what they required to be um, sustainable in Bermuda. 
there was a significant level of distrust, and that significant level of distrust of international business was based on term limits. It was based on um, small things, like an announcement by then Premier Dr. Ewart Brown to um, prevent guest workers from having a car license. Yeah. There were other things like the payroll tax um, raised without any, any consultation whatsoever. So that's not scaremongering, that's just a fact. This is what you're told, and this is why businesses say it's not, it was not a secure environment for their business. They, they had exit plans, and some left. Some of the answers were very simple as well, such as uh, an international businessman who you know, had come to Bermuda, a head of a large company, and he said, let's face it, if you're in Bermuda as the head of, the, as the, head of that company, the key people around you come with you because mm -hmm. they want to be close to the boss. Yeah. I'm being very simple in, in how, I'm, how I'm putting it forward. If that then man says, I want to bring my nanny, and the Bermuda government says no, he simply doesn't come. Absolutely, yeah. And that's how it works. But and we, people, we saw the history of and that. And we saw the history of that, and we, and we had to fix that. We had yeah. to arrest that. I get that. And, and you've been in power long enough to do that. Which we have now done. So, but it comes back to my original point. Yeah. I, like I said, I wasn't going to touch on this. You mm. brought it up. Mm -hmm. What are you doing for right. job creation okay. outside of tourism? I mean, right. I remember, for instance, mm. in the budget, the last budget, mm. you know, it's coming up this Friday, but in the last mm. budget, Bob Rich has mentioned tourism 32 times and promptly cut the budget. Mm. Mm. So it kind of sends a mixed message, if you're serious about tourism or not. You're talking about IAB, you stabilised that, but what else is there? Yeah. As we've said, we've stabilised. Um, the work of the um, BDA, the Bermuda Business Development mm. Agency, has spent an awful lot of time um, travelling in, in South America, travelling yep. on the East Coast, to say, look, we want to be able to bring different types of business here, whether that's banking, whether that's funds, whether that's different areas of international business. And when I say international business, most of the time we're talking about insurance. Yes, insurance. I understand, yeah. Hedge so funds, exactly. Hedge funds. So, yeah. But when we're looking at expanding that as a, as a, as a beginning, um, that's, that's a start. Now, it's not a magic bullet. What we cannot do is we cannot take pie-in-the-sky ideas and say, well, that's good enough. So I don't think it's... It, what we're not able to say is we're going to do undersea mining because that's not going to work. I totally understand okay? that. Okay, so we have yep. a small landmass. So... I'm not saying that um, we can turn this around quickly. What I'm saying what we're doing to find new opportunities is the work of the BDA, and frankly with um, mom and pop Bermudian, is the work of the BEDC, sure. the Bermuda Economic Development Corporation, to get people to do a great job. Got a lot of time a very good job. Um, and it, well, it's one of my favorite quangos because they have, most of the time, very good news. Yep. Um, and, and we've done a significant, excuse me, amount of work on that as well. Now... Look, none of this is going to change overnight, Jeremy. I accept that. And we have to... But the, the main thing here... And I'm not trying to dance around the question. No. The main thing here is to bring about confidence sure. in the community and demonstrate Absolutely. that we're open for business. But and it's taken time to turn that around before people will even open the door when you come knocking. I, I have a routine in the morning when I right. come into my office. I spend the first half hour with my colleagues in the office, a mm -hmm. shared office, mm -hmm. all different businesses, putting right. the world to right. Mm -hmm. And I would say three or four times a week, the conversation always comes back to... What other industries, what other sectors is Bermuda coming to? I've been attracted to Bermuda. And these are all businessmen. These aren't daft people. Mm -hmm. These are clever mm -hmm. people. Mm -hmm. And we don't know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we have no, no you know, idea we hear, who we have, you're reaching out to. Yeah, you, the government, the BDA, whatever. We've proposals. We've had proposals from people who want to set up biomedical research centers in Bermuda. We've had proposals from people who want to set up medical schools in Bermuda. And we have to analyse all these proposals uh -huh. to see if, in fact, they're going to work. OK, that's really interesting. Okay. That's the first time, and I'm an avid reader of news, that's the first mm. time I've ever heard about mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. So it comes back to the message. Mm. You're getting the message wrong again. Mm. Now, this is really important for reassurance. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
what you've said is reassuring. Yep. Why haven't you said it before? Well, maybe I have and it hasn't been picked up. Um, and, you know, I think um, a lot of the times, and in fairness, you know, I, I have many times in the Senate I've said many things and never reported, and that's okay. But that's the Senate. I accept that. Um, it's a very and, limited audience. And, and, I, and I have said um, uh, that um, our communications need to be better. I won't run from that. We've, we've gone a long way off the beaten track, uh, but you did, you did mention uh, people were making explosive statements. Um, were you surprised when Walton Brown called for uh, civil disobedience over the immigration reforms? Uh, I am surprised, and frankly, I was saddened and, and, and um, frankly disgusted. I'll, I'll be as strong as that. Because he felt extremely frustrated. I've spoken to Walton about it, yeah. and I'm sure he wouldn't mind if I said this, but he felt extremely frustrated. Mm -hmm. And I got, the, I got the impression that he felt it was an act of last resort. Um, I disagree um, completely. Um, Walton has a responsibility as a member of parliament to follow the rule of law and make his points known in the correct forums and not to call for civil disobedience. As leader of the country, to call for that is absolutely insane. And it shows, quite frankly, some very poor leadership. Uh, now, I have normally a very good work relationship with Walton. We've had many discussions, many debates on immigration, and I've made it very clear indeed in, um, over the last three years when we've had private or more public debates and discussions with the other side and the Senate or other, another place. Um, it's very difficult to enter into collaboration with anybody when uh, red lines are put down on various issues. You can't even open up a discussion when someone has already made public declarations on more than one occasion that status and um, how to treat people in Bermuda is, off, is essentially off the table. Um, I have asked repeatedly uh, for the PLP to present their ideas for this catchphrase of comprehensive immigration reform. I was going to come on to that, yeah. And I have yet to hear a single one. Right. I've heard none. Why is that? In fact, because I don't believe that, that they have one. I don't believe that they have a plan for comprehensive immigration reform because if they had, it would have been heard already. And if they had, it would have been presented when they were in government. But do you think there's a need for a comprehensive reform or a comprehensive look at it? At the yeah, I think, I think you challenged me on that. I did, um, yes. At, at our, but you looked at the 19 pages of speech and said, well, this is it. And well, it isn't really. Well, it, it is. Really. And, I, and I'll, say, I'll say it this way. Um, what we have spent a considerable amount of time doing um, over the last three years um, is spent a considerable amount of time in immigration, going from new work permit policies to um, civil penalties and making amendments yeah. there, to looking uh -huh. at property regimes. That we've have you been successful in the penalties? You know, know. that we have um, amended the property legislation to increase economic opportunity for Bermudians, and that again was, was been said to be against Bermudians, when in fact what it's doing is in helping increase the property values to where many Bermudians had already purchased, where their equity is half of what it was. Um, and, and all it's of those sword, that one, to to other areas um, in immigration, such as uh, partnership policy, putting things in writing where there was never writing before. All of this is a comprehensive immigration mm. package of reform. Fin finishing with um, this uh, pathways to status Absolutely, and citizenship. Yeah. Yeah. And then, ideally, ideally, I'd like to leave it alone after that. Now, I will say this. One of the first questions I asked when I became minister was, how long will it take to um, completely rewrite the Bermuda Immigration Protection Act of 1956. And what I was told was close to three years. Right. Now, in hindsight, that would have been a good thing. Absolutely. Having said that, 
what I would not have been able to do if we had done that was to spend time with the officers that we have to redo work permit policy, to redo um, land sure. policy. Yeah. So you have to pick and choose your battles. And I, I know the previous government didn't do it either because it would take that amount of time to do it. The, the problem is, I mean, it comes back to where we started mm. off, is the perception. Perception, is, and I accept perception can be reality, but I also think uh, that, um, you know, sadly, uh, and if we're talking about my specific perception, uh, has, uh, you know, I have been painted into um, perhaps a corner that I certainly don't want to be in. Uh, but I think that the actions and the results that will be achieved will demonstrate that, uh, that what people are saying is just dead wrong. Okay, well, you're on record saying um, that, so yeah. we'll see in a couple of and years. So time. we'll see. Uh, and I'm happy to be, to be measured and judged by that. Um, on the uh, long-term residence issue, and to a certain extent the PRCs, mm. now, does that cover all categories of people who might be affected by status? The reason I ask that is mm. that um, I was talking to somebody, a friend of mine, mm. who, uh, I, I can't go into details, I don't mm. know how to identify the person, sure. but they're divorced from a Bermudian, but they're still here. There's still that kind of category of people out there. Yeah, um, and I will tell you that um, just looking at one of the reasons that we've had to really look at how do you address the issue of many people who've been here for many years with all kinds of different circumstances. And, you know, one of the things that we had done was put in place properly the Immigration Appeal Tribunal. Um, and I, I, I want to make this very clear because what the previous government tried to do in 2011 was they introduced amendments to BIPA, Bermuda Immigration Protection Act, to say we need to take away um, the right of appeals of ministers' decisions, which used to then go to cabinet. Now, no cabinet's really going to overrule their, their colleagues' decisions on these things. Mm. So they said, we need um, an impartial tribunal. They put that in legislation and never passed any regulations to put into effect. So when I became minister three years ago, over three years ago now, there was a backlog of 40 or 50 cases that people just been sitting there with no answer. Right. Um, we had to take the time going through various ones, looking at some of the decisions that were made, seeing if we could reverse some of the decisions that were made that were just dead wrong under law, knew we would lose and let the rest go to the Immigration Appeal Tribunal that we had to then set up. And it took some time to work through that backlog. And all of those decisions, by the way, are available online, hmm. on our website. But there's still people out there who are, there are. are, are still affected. And, and there are. Now, what we've looked at is we said, okay, individuals who have been here for 15 continuous years hmm. um, and are you know here for the two years preceding the application but a continuous and ordinarily residence, which has always been in the Immigration Act, so it's easily measurable, it's a case law to back up what ordinary residence means, all of these things are kind of defined already in terms of how, how you measure that. Um, if they've been here for 15 years, they'll have an opportunity to apply for permanent residency, always subject to all of the rules and regulations that were there before, such as free of criminal convictions, having no offense of moral turpitude, and these kinds of things. And then if you've been here, once you hit 20, then you'll have the opportunity to apply for status. Mm -hmm. But you will have had to have PRC first. Yeah. Um, save for some transition provisions that when we enact the act, we think it's not right to say to someone who's maybe been here 27 years, oh, by the way, go and be PRC first and wait some more time. Sure. We don't think that's right. Um, so a lot of these individuals who are caught up with these indi very individual circumstances will benefit from these kinds of things. So we've seen, and you'll see a testimonial tonight, where a, where, where a woman had come to Bermuda, had, had married a Bermudian, um, had children, uh, but got divorced prior to her 10 years. Hmm. And someone like that is able to remain in Bermuda until her children uh, turn 22. And then, unless she marries another Bermudian, 
essentially would have to leave. Right. Uh, now, that person would have been in Bermuda for well in excess of 20 years, mm -hmm. has family here, has really nothing else unless you're going to send her back to where she came from 20-odd years before her children were born here. Is it right and the humane thing to do to say, go away? We don't think it is. How many people are, are still? How many people out there are still affected by this? Haven't been perhaps covered uh, by the long-term yeah, residency, the PLC status. So under current and Korea decision, um, which was the decision which identified the yeah. sleeping provision the human rights Act, uh, of yeah. individuals who had been in Bermuda as PRCs prior to 31st of July 1989, um, if, if they had been here um, for more than 20 years, they'd be able to make an application for status. That was current. That was 1,455 people we identified as eligible. 760 have actually bothered to apply. Um, plus, we think there was probably a couple hundred children that may still have been out there. But in totality, less than 50% of the overall number have, in fact, made an application. So far. So far. Um, but that's what we've always said. You think what you'll get is you'll get that instant uptake, and then you'll just get an, a rolling number of, a, in our view, a couple hundred a year. That number is still, uh, in terms of these um, proposals, the census data that we have from 2010, which I shared in our press conference, um, had indicated that there's about 683 or thereabouts that we think would be entitled to uh, status. We've been doing further extrapolations in, in time, and that number is slightly higher as an overall that would also be affected by PRC. But we're not looking at thousands and thousands that the opposition likes to say that it is. We're looking at far less than that. Okay. Just moving on, mm -hmm. uh, you were talking about um, immigration, the need for immigration reform to mm -hmm. encourage the job creators, et cetera, et cetera. Um, some time ago, though, you, you put the issue of uh, commercial immigration mm -hmm. on the back burner, you said, because Bermuda doesn't have the appetite at the moment to pursue it. Is yeah. it still on the back burner, or is it going to be resurrected anytime soon? Um, it's still on the back burner. Uh, I think when we looked at this, we were very, again, open to say we have to at least consider it. Um, it was an area that um, had done very well, I think, in some other of our competing jurisdictions. Um, but we have other avenues, I think, that work well. I think the job makers legislation has worked fairly well in terms of retention um, and encouragement of companies. Uh, and you know, in our view as well, it, it seemed to be somewhat unfair, if you will, to turn around and say to those who have spent 25, 20, 30 years in a country that you don't get anything, but someone who's prepared to make a quick investment does. Now, there was criticism at the time, oh, all you're doing is selling passports, and yet again, that was something that was just not true, because the government doesn't have the ability to do that, uh, because we are still a British-dependent territory, exactly. and passports are under the British Nationality Act. So, you know, we, we were put in a position where the more work you do on it, the less and less return you get for it. So um, I don't anticipate this coming up again. Certainly not. Ever. Um, not in the, certainly not in the in your election government. cycle. Not under this government. Um, is, now, it, is it still is policy it, of the OBA though? Is well, it still it, a policy? Of it the was. OBA? It was not a policy going into the election. Um, this no, was something. But it's policy it, it was something that um, it had come to our attention. We'd heard presentations on it. I did uh, um, go on a, a trip to a conference on it. Gathered my own information. Went with um, a permit uh, with uh, I think it was my immigration chief to gather as much as we could. And, um, you know, at the end of the day, the cabinet was not satisfied that this was the way forward. Um, so what we have done is 
by introducing pathways at least give stability to those who've already made sure. that significant contribution. Mm -hmm. Again, it's a stability and confidence I think is important. But you're not going to take it off the agenda? It's off the agenda right now. Is it going to stay off? As, as long as I'm Minister of Home Affairs, yes. Just, just moving on, changing the subject, I, I think uh, we pretty much dealt with immigration, mm -hmm. although I'm sure some people listening will uh, want to do more. Um, the relations with the unions are not yes. good. Mm. And after a recent court case where um, the Chief Justice... Um, sorry, I'm losing my train of thought. Whether Bob Richards, Minister of Finance, wrote to the unions asking mm -hmm. them to basically not to stop walkouts, wildcat walkouts. Uh, you were quoted in a story as saying that um, the government agrees that this represents an opportunity to create better relationships with the unions and looks forward to engaging with them to build on previous collaborative efforts, etc., etc. Mm -hmm. um, we had a column today from the new MP, Mr Roban, in Bernays. The minister appears to have had a fit of delusion about the impact the recent court case mm. he instituted against virtually all of Bermuda, Bermuda, Bermuda's unions would have on the relationship government has with all the island trade unions. Mm. Sorry, I didn't read that very well. No, it was some. Um, I'm only going to correct you, which I don't want to do. That, that's Roban, not Robain. Sorry, I meant Roban. Yeah, I beg your pardon. Yeah. Apologies, Mr. Yep, Roban. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I, I don't want to. I don't want to criticise Diallo when he doesn't deserve it. Um, I did read the your piece. relationships. Your relationship with the unions, particularly your relationship mm -hmm. as Minister of Home Affairs, is at an extremely low ebb, isn't it? Um, I will say this. I did read Mr. Roban's piece, um, and I believe it is no more than a poorly written piece of propaganda. But your, your relationship with the unions no, I don't agree is with very that. low. It is, it is, it is not a, let's put it this way. It is at a low ebb, not as a result, in my view, of what this administration has done or what I have done as a minister, and I'll explain why. Um, when we came into government, we made a big effort to engage with the unions. Um, I had met with, in the beginning, with the unions on a monthly basis. had meetings with the president of the unions, uh, uh, especially with the BIU, uh, and had met with them on many occasions to talk about any number of issues, and we started to resolve some out long-term outstanding issues with a number of labor cases that were held up at workforce development from the previous administration, and I think we made some traction on that. Um, the relationship was good. Uh, we, in fact, um, made sure that when this letter of understanding was signed between our government and the unions, that this economic tripartite committee would be set up, which uh -huh. I chaired. We had a very good session, um, a, a cross-section of the committee of the economic tripartite at the Hamilton, at the Southern Princess, which was superb. We did a following one the following year. Uh, and throughout that period of time, relations were very good. This government, if you will recall, negotiated a grocery discount of 10% for the community. Mm -hmm. we, at, the, at the end of that That's period right. of time, we also managed to negotiate for union members. It was actually an extra 5%, wasn't it, on top it of was the existing well, Exactly, it was 5% plus 5%, yeah. so you're right, it's an extra 5%. Um, and um, with the unions in respect of um, the local insurance uh -huh. companies for a discount of 10% for their members. Now, to me, that's a Which very actually caused a lot of controversy in the private sector. Well, anyway. it did, but, you know, at the end of the day, no one can turn around and say that we didn't try to help what we understood as the real problems going on and facing the union membership. Well, okay, so maybe you reached a peak there, but it's, it seems that it did, it's it gone did downhill ever now, since the furlough. Why, why did they go downhill? Mr. Roban has severely misunderstood the role of the Minister of Labour. What he's done in his article is he has suggested that 
the minister, i.e. me, is responsible for some of the negotiations that went wrong with the police and all of these kinds of things. Not for the Minister of Home Affairs to get involved in that. That's national security. It just isn't. Mm. Um, unless a labor dispute is reported to the minister. It's not for me. Now that is where the previous government went wrong all the time. They interfered with a lot of things. It's not my role to do that. What my role is, is to report labor disputes. And if the parties ask me to, then I get involved. Now, with that said, when we came to the labor dispute in January of last year, that resulted, as, um, as the Chief Justice said, the unions essentially um, walked out because they felt that they had been somehow disrespected yeah. by the Minister of Finance. Now, we reported that. It was reported by me as a labor dispute, as I was entitled to do under uh -huh. the Act. And I reported it as a labor dispute because workers left the job in breach of the collective bargaining agreements and in breach of the legislation, completely with disregarding the law. Uh, and that dispute notice was ignored. And as such, what it calls for under the Act is that the Minister has the opportunity to bring injunctive proceedings to prevent further disruption. We did that. Mm -hmm. Now, I think it is a, um, a testament to the fact that the Court, in fact, said, which was disregarded by the unions in their first statement, that the unions acted illegally. That's right, yeah. Now, that's almost unprecedented um, in Bermuda's history that a declaration has been given by the court that shows absolutely that what the unions did was act illegally. That's a fact. Now, since then, and by the way, prior to that, we reached out as a ministry repeatedly uh, to the unions, notwithstanding the court case, to say, notwithstanding the issues that are before the courts, we are more than willing to continue having our dialogue with the Labor Advisory Council. Those overtures were rejected wholeheartedly by the union. And what they said was, when the court case is over, we will think about re-engaging or words that effect. When the court case came to a conclusion, we wrote to the general secretary of the BTUC, who has yet to fully respond and set a date for any meeting. You wrote to him about what? We wrote to him about recommencing Labor Advisory Council meetings. And how long ago was that? That was in January. This year? This year. Uh, and it might have even been, it was not long after the judgment in the court case. Um, we had a positive response from Jason Hayward, who said that he was looking forward to re-engagement in dialogue. Uh, and um, recently, now I have given, I had given instructions, and I have to confess, I, I have not followed up to see if it was in fact followed through yet. Uh, but our intent was last week to remind the unions that we have a letter sitting out there. Right. And could they please come forward with a suggested date for a meeting and give us agenda items. Now, again, it is, it is in the union's court. We have made overtures to them to say, please come and let's talk. That has been either ignored, or perhaps they're still going through the machinations of finally coming back with a response. Now, what has happened during that period of time? Just because there's a court case going on, there was a temporary injunction, okay, and I gotta make something clear. At no time did the government, or I, or anyone else, ever seek to injunct the union from doing anything that is lawful. Okay? All we were ever looking to do was injunct the unions from doing things that are unlawful. And um, we were relatively successful in the temporary, obviously we had a temporary injunction, but I think again it's been demonstrated that um, walkouts in breach of regulations and rules are simply not permitted. Now, Bob Richards has, has uh, referred in the past to the combined opposition, i.e. the PLP and the unions. Mm. Um, would you agree? 
You know, I, I have to say that um, I think in my engagements with the unions, um, I've, I had had very good discussions with them and did not get the impression in my meetings one-on-one -on -one that they were coming with an opposition agenda. Again, I think perception, as you rightly pointed out, can be reality. Uh, and oftentimes when the union makes statements that are uh, very pro-opposition without really looking at the facts and the factual matrix, then it's easy to call them the combined opposition because that's how it can be perceived. Certainly a lot of it is, is quite emotional. Yeah. There's no question about that. Um, but I, you know, th so is your door open? My door's always open, um, and I think anyone would recognize that. Um, anyone can pick up the phone and call me and make an appointment at any time. Now, the, the one piece that is important here with um, the union, and particularly Mr. Roban's article, and he lists a bunch of things that perhaps the OBA should consider doing. One of the things that we announced two years ago was that we needed to do comprehensive labor, labor reform. Mm. Uh, and we had a number of pre-meetings um, with um, union representatives and uh, Mr. Alan Dunch and Wendell Hollis uh, to start to rewrite things. Now that project has had fallen by the wayside a little bit given everything else that we had to deal with, uh, but it's still ongoing. And what we had always undertaken to do with the unions is once we had something that was based on, largely based on um, the uh, Ontario Labor Code, was to present a Bermuda version of that for further dialogue and discussion. And that's still ongoing in terms of our work. Is, this, is, is there an end date to that, do you think? Um, my intent, to be fair, last year was to have something tabled last year. Right. But we just haven't gotten to it. We haven't been able to get it done. Uh, and um, I'm still hopeful that we'll get that done you, this year. You, you, you could argue the labour relations is a very crucial issue to Bermuda at the moment. Well, labour relations... But if you get on like, some, yeah. like two pieces of sandpaper, you're not going to go anywhere, are you? Well, you know, I, I, what I find frustrating, and it is very frustrating to me, is the picking and choosing by the opposition, and oftentimes the unions themselves, as to what sections of the International Labour Organization codes of practice they wish to abide by. And when you, in fact, look at um, what those 10 or 12 major guidelines that are laid out by the ILO in respect of union, union relationships, it does talk about open dialogue, which we have asked to re-engage in but was rebuffed for the entire year. Um, they have, it also talks about the right to strike, with which we have no issue with whatsoever, as we've made clear on any number of occasions. But the right to strike under the ILO conventions says a right to strike with proper balloting of your members and a mm -hmm. secret ballot with proper notification, no just walking off the job, and these things are ignored. They are largely ignored by the unions, and they say, here's the ILO, you must follow this in this instance, but then what they fail to do is remind everyone about the rest of those conventions. What we're looking to do is take a hodgepodge of legislation that frankly is not suitable for a modern-day democracy. It's been drafted from 68 through till 92-93 and essentially scrap all of that and start afresh because those acts don't serve they are bad for the employer right. and they're bad for the unions so the unions essentially Jeremy don't almost even have a right to strike <laughs> because all the minister has to do is say that there's a dispute and it has to go to arbitration now in my view unions should have a road and an opportunity to strike pursuant to ILO obligations and we don't even have that now so we want to help the unions, but also make things more definitive for the employer. Is there a chance that you would legislate for a secret ballot? Yes. That would be very controversial. I mean, Margaret Thatcher did that, and it went down like the proverbial lead balloon it in Britain is, in the 80s. Um, again, um, if you are willing to follow the ILO code, we will do everything that we can 
in the first draft, when we present it to the unions, is to follow the ILL codes. That's all I'm saying here. Now, if the, the code, code is different to law, well, no, but <laughs> and to I'm legislate it for a secret ballot unions, could be quite. Prov- it could be, be, seen to be provocative. The, but the unions themselves look at any one of their articles. Even look at Mr. Roban's today. We urge the, I, the, the, the One Bermuda Alliance to encourage the following of ILO principles. That's one of them. So you can't pick and choose. But to legislate is different. Well, if you're going to put in labour legislation, and the ILO principles are very clear subject to X, Y, and Z. You'll recall uh, that we had made a proposal some time ago to make um, uh, transportation an essential service. Mm. And the unions had to accept uh, that you can, in fact, make transportation an essential service. It's in the country's economic benefit to do so. That was absolutely clear. It's clear as day in any of the labor, um, leg- in any of the labor books that you look at. Now, these are often ignored in terms of arguments that are made. All we want to do is be fair. And I'm not necessarily stuck on any of these issues. All I'm going to present is what I believe is the right way forward in terms of the International Labor Organization's codes of practice and the things that are laid out as best practice around the world. And other islands to our south have had to go through the same issues. Um, And we have already said to the unions that once we have something, we don't even have a problem sending our guidelines and our suggested legislation to the ILO for them to look at. This isn't something that is anti-union and it's not pro-employer. Everyone accepts that the labor laws in Bermuda are antiquated and they're way, way out of date. Do the unions accept that? Yeah, I I think so. I think that they can look at it and I think that the the president of the union will accept what I'm saying in terms of the union's true right to strike. You're talking about the BIU there, right? Yes, I do. Um, I think that um, it's absurd frankly, that um, the way in which some of the legislation is drafted that doesn't give any real right to strike. It doesn't make any sense. It's not great for employers, but workers also have a right, as they do under the ILO Convention. You can't pick and choose. You have to accept them all or none. Um, Changing subject again, Mm -hmm. in May 2013, there's a story that said government is in the final stages of establishing an ad hoc governance committee to look into fixed-term elections, among mm. other issues. Mm. It seems to have gone very quiet on us. Uh, we've made Almost further announcements on that over time. Again, um, Are we going to get fixed-term elections? That is still open for debate. Um, we're still working on the policies through that in terms of how you, in fact, do that without breaching the Constitution. Right. Um, and so it's not off the table um, at all. Um, we have um, been working very diligently um, within the government to put forward some draft proposals that include any number of measures, even in, uh, including some of the regulations about how elections are run on election day. So you know, what we're not looking to do is just do one or two changes. We've taken the opportunity to say, you know, we have time before um, you know, the five-year term is sure. up, if you will, yeah, yeah. to get as many changes in that act as possible. Would, but there would, is debate. I have to be, to be completely fair about it. And how you implement a fixed-term election without fettering the rights under the, that are given under the Constitution. Constitution's different. Yeah. I, I understand that, but yeah. I, it seems to work very well in the UK. It seems it to remove a lot of doubt. Um, because they don't have a written Constitution. A written Constitution, I understand yeah. that, The yeah. Canadian model is something that we've looked at. The Canadian model, they, of course, have a written Constitution. Uh, and they have a version of fixed-term fixed term elections. But when you look at the legislation very carefully, it's not really fixed-term because it still gives the government a way out to call an election early. So... It, it, it's difficult, 
I think we come in and we say these are what we'd like to do, and then when you start to really work on some of the policies, you think is that actually possible? Right. Um, and so we have to be flexible, and we'll come out and say that if we don't do it, we'd have to explain that we can't, and that's something that was still there. Well, it'll be interesting to see how that progresses, yeah. I must yeah. admit, because I know a lot of people are looking at that. Mm. Uh, you uh, you got quite um, criticised, shall we say, again. You, you're probably used to being vilified, I'm sure. Mm. You've probably got broad shoulders for using dismissive language against the ombudsman. Is there anything you regret now? No. No? Why not? I think I've made my statements very clear. Um, regrettably, uh, and I... I um, will say this with all due respect, that the Ombudsman obviously has a, a difficult job as well. Um, but what I um, was uh, very uh, um, upset about, quite frankly, uh, was that um, it would appear that some of the reasoning or the reasonings that were given by the department were wholly and largely ignored. Uh, and I didn't think in any way that the Ombudsman's report represented what was in fact the actual case. Right. Have you spoken to Victoria Pym? I have not. So you, would you, you apologise to her? No, I have nothing to apologise for. Last question. Uh, I have to ask it in the same-sex marriage. Mm. Um, you've gone, you committed, the government's committed to going part of the way to civil union. Why won't you go the whole way? Commit to same-sex marriage? Um, it's the government's position, uh, and you'll have seen the bill that was tabled in the House of Assembly on Friday, uh, that um, marriage is between a man and a woman. And that is what the government's position is, and what we have tabled is a bill in the House of Assembly uh, to ensure uh, that um, that is so. In other words, the Matrimonial Causes Act says yeah. marriage between a man and a woman is void, yeah. and we're saying yeah. that piece will go yeah. up with the Human Rights Act. Um, we are still, as you know, um, in a phase where we are still consulting with people. That's why we have yet to table a bill. I understand that, yes. There's more that. consultation going on. Um, we had a public meeting the other day. Um, and, of course, there's, you know, there's obviously a lot of debate on, on any side of this particular issue, whether it's the preserved marriage group or whether mm -hmm. it's the LGBT mm -hmm. community. Uh, and um, we continue to have to do our diligence in that, but keeping in mind at all times the will of, of, of Bermuda. How much of an impact could the Human Rights Act have on this, then? Obviously, there is a case potentially pending by Mark Pettingill, your colleague. Mm -hmm. um, well, his clients, he's representing them. But it's your colleague, colleague <laughs> yes. who's, who's taking the case, <laughs> a former Attorney General. Yes. Uh, yeah. Anyway, um, presumably he's going to be taking that under the Human Rights Act. Mm. Um, he's obviously very confident of a victory. That's going to force your hand. Do you, do, you, do you think the Human Rights Act here could just basically almost let you off the hook? Well, I, I'm not going to prejudice our position on that. I well, there's no prejudice. I mean, well, no, I can't because if you know, I, I don't know right now what our position will be in the event that application does come. Um, what I can say is that well, you know, the, the, the position clearly is you don't believe it because he, he applied for it to be advertised to be registered. And it, it wasn't. So clearly, the position is government or, or his departments don't. No, indeed. But in terms of what what reliance is placed going forward in the event of a court case, that's a, that's that's another that's a story for another day. I think what the government is committed to do is talking about um, civil unions. And what we have had to do and spend, and frankly what I've been having to spend my time on, is considering the ramifications of the judgment that, that it comes into effect on the 29th of February yeah. in respect of how we deal with immigration issues. So, you know, to me, Jeremy, I'm not dodging. I've got to do one step at a time. I've got to get to the 29th and then see what happens going forward from there. Assuming, though, that you would contest 
the application if one was made before the court. Well, the on, the ba on the basis that um, we have made or will be making an amendment to the Marriage Act, yes. But in terms of what arguments are deployed in relation to that, that's for another day. Of course, last week we saw quite a lot of um, debate on it, culminating, I think, in Sylvan Richards. Mm -hmm. um, seemingly going against the party line and calling for a referendum. Mm. Is there a split in the OBA with this? No, um, not at it all. It doesn't look like it. Well, again, perception. Um, you know, we like to, 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 to have intrigue and political intrigue and for me to take things and everything we see as gospel, which isn't true. <laughs> Keeps the news mill going. Well, it does, uh, and, 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 and so it is. Um, you know, we've said many times that um, the OBA is, for one of a, a, better, a better phrase, a broad church, and there's going to be differing opinions. Did you know about Mr. Richard's uh, referendum idea before he announced it? I did. Um, but I was abroad last week. I mean, you, I would have cabinet, basically. Were you aware of it? Was um, the party aware of well, it? Well, I was, uh, I have to say, I don't know who knew what when, and I say that because I was, in fact, away last week when okay. all of that transpired. But you were aware of it? But I was. Whether it, do you know if there are any moves to discourage him? That I couldn't comment on. I don't know. Okay, on that note, thank you, Mr. Fay, very thank much you. for your time indeed. Thank you indeed. Thank you for tuning in to Burn News Current Affairs Podcast with Jeremy Deacon. Listen at your leisure on www.burnnews.com, your 24-7 Bermuda news source.